0: Welcome back to the show. Today, we are speaking with Clint Hatton. Clint is an author, speaker, personal development coach, and the author of the incredible new book that is out sharing the story of his son and his son's passing. Clint is the motivational speaker, personal development, and leadership coach. And the book is called Big, Bold, Brave. He's been coaching individuals and teams for over 20 years with a proven track record and helping people grow personally, achieve success, and build healthier marriages and relationships. In his book, Big, Bold, Brave, How to Live Courageously in a Risky World, it contains wisdom, strategies he's lived by to thrive despite his greatest personal loss, In his story and in this episode, Clint shares the loss of his son and what their family went through and how they experienced it, the perspective that he had to shift and work through. And in this episode, we talk about like when you face a personal trauma, even in those really dark moments, we still have a choice of how we show up, how we choose to show up, what meaning we make of it how we allow ourselves to be heard and seen, and how we respond to life in those moments. We are never without pain. And when we face loss, numbing or avoiding the pain or expecting it to go away is not the way to move through it. And in this episode, he candidly shares some of the experiences that his family went through in those first few days up until the last two years as he has been writing his book, Sharing, all of this story. And honestly, this is an incredibly emotional, powerful episode. And I am so grateful to be able to have Clint on the show, sharing his family story. Welcome to the show today, Clint. I'm so thrilled to have this conversation with you. Thank you, Marsha.
1: It's my privilege to be on here with you. And I'm, I'm excited for the talk.
0: So am I. You are an author, a speaker, and a personal development coach. This is something you have been doing for a number of years.
1: Yes and no. I mean, you're, you're accurate. Um, there, the shift really took place in this last year. I spent most of the last 17 years in a pastoral role. So a lot of my coaching, mentoring, that kind of thing uh, was in that realm but in the last year, uh, partly due to my story and some of the shifts that have happened within our family, and just uh, the passion that has been in me to do this for a long time, for many many years, I've, I really wanted to launch out a personal development company to reach a broader audience, and just hadn't, you know, <laughs> hadn't gotten the courage to step out, and felt like I never had the capacity or time, and. Uh, So life changed. And with that, I made some courageous decisions and and here I am.
0: Wow. I think um, one of the things that when I saw your name come in and your form and all of the information, I was like, I'm always, I love to feature and connect with people who can take a really difficult story and... Lead with the intention of putting some good out into the world, like do something good with their story. And that is hands down, absolutely what you are doing. So wherever you feel comfortable, I would love for you to share how, what changed for you over the last 17 months.
1: Yes. Well, it really goes back to um, 2019, specifically Mm -hmm. September 23rd of 2019, uh, our our family suffered a massive blow uh, my oldest son Gabriel who at that time in 2019 was 17 years old just a few months shy of his 18th birthday uh from the age of about 8 he had had this desire to become a pilot uh he was really one of those go-getter kids you know very brilliant too brilliant you know when he was young he was he would argue with us at 8 years old and his vocabulary was bigger than it should have been and You know, we knew he'd either be a CEO or a lawyer. One of the, one of the two, but he was just a really, you know, he just went after life. He, he attacked life. And so he wanted to become a pilot. And at the age of 16, he soloed for the first time before he even had a driver's license, which was very weird. And then at age 17, which is the youngest you can be and achieve a, an actual private pilot license certificate, he achieved that. And so he became a pilot. And then on September 23rd, Uh, He was actually taking a friend to the University of Arkansas, which is a little bit north of where we are here in Dallas, to just get ours and drop her off to to school and drop her off safely. And then on the way back, uh, unfortunately, he hit some unexpected weather systems in a mountainous region, and he ended up suffering from what they call spatial disorientation, which basically means... You lose your horizon. You don't know which way you're going. Uh, very similar to what happened to the Kobe Bryant pilot, which a lot of your listeners would know about, and he crashed and he lost his life. And so, you know, he was living his dream, but obviously that was a shattering, uh, a shattering circumstance for for me and for my bride and and for my two other boys. He had two has to younger brothers as well. They're now 18 and uh, 13. At that time, they were nine and 14. So, you know, the reason that I ended up here today, you know, what's been going on for the last couple of years is there was just something about the way he lived his life, you know, and his parents, obviously our dream is always that, you know, we're, we're going to leave a legacy for them and they're going to stand on our shoulders and carry it forward. And, you know, and that's, that's every parent's desire. And I found myself and our family in a position where the script was flipped, if you will. And we were now forced into a situation where, you know, we had two choices. Uh, the way I saw it, Marsha, we could either, and this is what I told the boys on the couch the morning of when I had to tell them what had happened. You know, what well, I call it the impossible conversation. It was our worst nightmare. And I sat down with both of them and I said, listen, boys, you know, we have two choices. We can choose to focus on the tragedy, meaning we can focus the rest of our lives on how he died, how tragic it is, you know, all the things that we're going to miss. And and if we do that, we're going to be shells of who we're meant to be. Because I've been helping people for 20 years. I've seen it time and time again, where it has absolutely crushed marriages and, and crushed families. I said, but there's a second choice, and that is we can choose to have a life perspective. And what I meant by that and what I, what I said to them was, is he attacked life. He lived life to the fullest. Mm-hmm. Obviously, we wanted him for 50, 60 more years, right, or until I got old enough to pass on. Um, but he lived life more voraciously than most people that I know who have lived 40, 50, 60, 70 years in some cases You know, he was living his dream. He he taught himself how to play guitar because he wanted to. He was an amazing photographer and I'm very blessed to have literally thousands of photos that he did, including at one of the biggest air shows in the world uh, that he had the opportunity to be invited on the tarmac. I have some uh, aviation photos that would blow your mind. But, you know, just the way he lived so passionately, I said, that's what we're going to focus on. And the only way we can really honor him is if we live our lives the same way. Now, obviously that means doing different things, but just with that same zeal for life. And so we found ourselves in that situation. Now, you know, Marcia, you understand we were devastated and the grief process we're still in, you know, this is a little over three years later. And I think a lot of people are afraid to even talk to people sometimes that have, you know, been through something like this. Because they're wondering, you know, gosh, are they ever going to get over it? Or, you know, if I say anything, is that going to set them off? And I, I really feel like the, the truth is this: you know, we'll never get over it. You know, our life was changed forever that morning. Um, it'll never be the same, and you know, the pain of that loss will remain forever because it's it's my son. You know, the pain to me represents the great love that we shared. So I'm not even looking for the pain to go away. However. You know, we did have to figure out, because this was now, and and I think you'll appreciate this. We talked a little bit before we got on this call here today. We couldn't change the fact that we had to live out this tragedy now the rest of our lives, but it didn't have to become our identity. Mm-hmm. That, that's it huge. It's going be a part of our story. Mm-hmm. So we just began that morning to take one breath at a time, one step at a time, one day at a time on living out this life, trying to honor him, trying to, you know, be everything that, that, you know, we were created to be and just love life. And and even through the grieving, which, you know, if you'd like to talk about that, we can talk a little bit about how we actually did that, but uh, even through the grief to just keep moving forward and and love people, serve people and find a way. This thing's never going to be a good thing that happened to us, but try to find something we can do with it that's going to keep his memory alive and that's going to help other people.
0: I thank you for everything that you've shared so far because there's, there's so much in what you're saying. And this is it, like keeping his memory alive. And if you can do something good to help others with this story, even just this last five minutes that you just shared... I promise you it's going to land with somebody because it's being able to, one of the questions I have first is that conversation, that first morning, mm-hmm. nobody can prep for that. Nobody knows what to say. Like there's There's nothing that you can do to prep to say that, but it has to speak volumes to you as a person to be able to, come into that language in the first day and say, we do have two choices. Is that from your years of working as a pastor? Is that who you are? Is that, I'm just curious because I think perspective is always everything, right? And you never, like, you're not coming at this saying, oh, we didn't grieve. We don't have time for this. You can't feel this. None of that. But it's amazing how sometimes when you can have a tiny perspective shift how it can shift and change in how you show up, even in very critical times in your life.
1: Yeah. Well, I think the accurate answer to that is, is I, I wouldn't say necessarily it's because I was a pastor, meaning the title of pastor, yeah. because that can be you know expressed in many, many different ways. Um, it's definitely been a part of who I am as a person. You know, I, I've always loved helping people from the time I was young. Now, You know, I always didn't have the wisdom or the maturity to be helpful, (laughs) but I always had that desire to help people. So, you know, that's why I pursued that uh, that career choice, that vocation. Now, I will say this, though, because of the way I pastored for many years and the way I was heavily involved in mentoring people and walking through very difficult things with people. You know, I've been in hospital rooms for hours sometimes at a time with families as they watched a loved one die and ultimately died, you know, in front of us and then trying to pick up the pieces later and all that. So, you know, I do feel like I had an advantage from that standpoint in that I have been the observer, if I could say it that way, of how a lot of people have handled Mm -hmm. such of a tragedy over the years. And and again, unfortunately, it hasn't ended very well. You know, you've seen a lot of um, a lot of divorces happen when uh, a couple loses a child, and then families often implode. And so, you know, it, it was definitely an advantage to have have that knowledge that this could happen, right? And so then, I think from that point, it was like I just knew in that moment that we needed a compass and we needed it fast because I call. I call the first year really, certainly that morning, but I call the first year of grieving a loss like this, the shock and awe phase. Mm -hmm. Um, You can't, like you said, you said it so well, nothing, none of my experience prepared me for what I was going to feel. It only prepared me for what I could see could become an outcome of how we process it. That was the only advantage, right? So when when I looked at the boys that morning, I just felt like that was the thing that had to be said immediately. And there was another piece along with that that I think is really, really critical and has helped us through this process. And Marsha, I want to make it clear to your listeners too, even what I'm about to say, we didn't do any of this perfectly. No, you know, not every day was a good day. And not every day did we, you know, execute everything I'm saying perfectly. We didn't, you know, and there was, there's been some tough days. Um, but again, it, it's, it gave us a compass to start with that allowed us to recalibrate over and over and over and get back into a healthy mindset pretty quickly, you know? And that was the second thing we talked about that morning was I said, okay, boys, we don't know how we're going to grieve. I don't know how I'm going to grieve. You don't Amaryllis, my bride, she didn't, you know, we didn't know what that was going to look like from day to day from and early on from hour to hour, you know? And so I said, so here's, here's how we're going to handle that. We're going to grieve together and we're going to let each other grieve the way we need to grieve in the moment. So if you get angry, it's okay. Be angry. If you're sad and you want to cry, cry. If you feel like you're maybe moving into, and they were, you know, young, Joel was a freshman in high school, Liam only in fifth grade. So, you know, you, I had to, tweak the language a little bit to make sure you understood what I'm saying. But it's like, if you're beginning to feel like you're feeling super sad and maybe depressed, you need to talk to us. And that's okay too. But I think what was really critical that's been helpful for us is we, we did do it together. And I even told them at that time, I said, listen, this isn't a rule that we're giving you that we're not going to live by when we're feeling it. If I got to cry, I'm the dad of the house, you know, I'm the manly man, right? If I got to cry, I'm going to cry. And I'm going to cry in front of you. And I have many times, two weeks ago, even, <laughs> you know, and, and same with Amarillo and saying, and it's not all about crying, but you know, whatever the emotion is for that moment. And sometimes it's joy, you know, sometimes you, something sparks a certain memory about how he lived or what he did or, you know, and, and laughter was okay too, you know? And so we set that uh, or, or made a pact, I guess you could say that morning that this is how we're going to do it. And I said, listen, it, it's, it's always going to be okay to not be okay. Mm-hmm. It's never going to be not okay alone. Mm-hmm. So you can't let yourself get isolated. We're going to talk this out. And so we've practiced that again, not perfectly, but we've practiced it and we've had a lot of conversations and each of us, each of us process a little bit differently. You know, my oldest was almost as, you know, had just really become Gabriel's best friend. They had really, you know, for all the, the boy moms and dads out there, you know, a couple of years prior to that, they were, you know, mm-hmm. fighting all the time and total friction. And they had really turned a corner through a, a vacation. They went on a few months before and they were buddies now, you know, and so it was devastating. Mm-hmm. And for him, there was a big gap between ages. And so for him, he was always bringing it into the here and now, you know, it'd be stuff like we've eaten pepperoni pizza, you know, and he would say, April would have loved this pizza or we'd be at a movie. Gabriel would have loved this movie, you know, and Joel would struggle with that at times at first, Mm -hmm. because for him bringing up his name in a moment like that, he didn't know what to do with it. And so, you know, it's messy, Mm -hmm. but with the lens of love and, and, and giving each other permission, if I could say it that way to process those emotions and work through them, we got there, you know, and, and do we have sad moments today? Yes, absolutely. But we're Uh, We're strong as a family.
0: That is, um, thank you for sharing all of that. And I think one of the first things that hit me when you share, like you did there, is that you gave your boys and your family permission to feel. And that is not something that is always okay, right? Even, Even just to feel. And, you know, I've, I've, I think about that was something while we were growing up that it wasn't okay. Like it was, right. it wasn't okay. Right. Like, you know, suck it up, move on. Just, you know, don't cry. Like don't Absolutely. cry. Don't let people see that. I mean, we were a family of girls, like boys were, it was even worse than that. Then it was just not okay to feel. And so that can lead to a lot of confusion as to, I don't even know what I'm feeling half the time because I was never okay or safe to feel Yeah. back that you opened up that conversation that first day that we're going to have, like, we're going to feel and we're allowed to feel. And this is all part of this journey as well as being like being the dad and allowing yourself to feel and allowing them to see you feeling you've humanized, you know, loss in a way that we don't have to go through it with like a bulletproof armor on that. No, I'm fine. I'm fine. And that's, that's just not healthy. It's just not healthy anymore. Like it's just not healthy. So I think that that's really powerful that you did that with them right from the beginning. I, I also, one of the things that you said really hit is, and this is something I'm saying this because I know that we have a lot of people who listen, who do have, have experienced a lot of loss and a lot of challenges and difficult stories is you said that we weren't looking for the pain to go away. Like we weren't sitting there saying, well, that's the one year mark. Cause I've had a few friends who've lost mm. parents and who have lost. I have a friend who lost a husband um, at a young age. And I can't tell you how many people said to her, but it's been a year. Like what's, right. what? what's the, it's been a year. You've done all the first to right. be fine now. And so I think that there's a lot of misconceptions with grief.
1: Absolutely. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, I, I call the first year shock and awe for the simple reason that it is your first cycle. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, especially, you know, Gabriel passed away on September 23rd, just because of the, of our birthdays and the way things are laid out. Uh, we had all of our birthdays, all of them, including his, started about a month later. And all five of us are compact between the end of October and the middle of December. Wow. Then you add Thanksgiving, then you add, you know, Christmas, uh, New Year's, all those things. So, you know, I really feel like the shock and awe phase is that first year because of that. You've got all these, first. you know, cycles and first that you've never experienced before. But, you know, the idea or the concept that, okay, now we're good. It's just, you know, it's, um, you know, I think most people are kind hearted and wish you the best and that's their lens for saying that, but it's just really ignorant. You know, it's, it's not at all what it's like, you know, to lose someone that you love deeply. And, um, so that said, you know, I think I was very much like you too. I mean, I, I did not grow up with this sensitive warm and fuzzy kind of thing. You know, Um, we would, you know, we, we would get a bruise. I was an athlete, you know, play football and baseball. Something would happen. My dad say tape an aspirin to it. You know, he was tough enough to where he fought in Korea. You know, I was like, don't even need to take the aspirin, just tape it to it. You're good. You know? And so I grew up with that too, you know, but I think, and I, and I won't speak to this in, uh, you know, in technical terms, but there's a lot of data out there. Now I'm not qualified as a, as a licensed therapist or a doctor or psychiatrist, but there's a lot of data out there of the long-term damaging effects of suppressing emotion. And so it's, it's something that we really do as a, as a culture society. and, and, And especially with men, we need to get a lot better at. And somebody actually asked me very recently, they said, so did you find yourself with the desire to just, you had to suck it up and be strong for your family? And I said, no, <laughs> they were a little surprised. And I said, not, not by the way that you probably mean that. And I knew, I knew they weren't trying to you know say anything offensive either. I said, no, I've been strong for my family by being authentic and vulnerable, you know, and have there been times where I've had to be strong and say things, um, you know, to keep us moving and to not get caught up in my own pain at certain times. Absolutely. But there has also been many times where I needed to express it by being vulnerable and expressing, I'll give you, if I could give you one quick story, this is a simple example, you know, and it doesn't sound terribly profound, but I really believe it's this kind of thing that's teaching my boys more about not, not just hardship and and tragedy, but how to live their lives in, in an honest and authentic way with their kids when they get the opportunity just this last uh July. So, you know, we're a few years down the road. Mm-hmm. And we were we were celebrating the fourth of July, you know, exciting time. Everybody loves the fourth of July in America anyway. And uh I'm down in Florida, so I just realized you're here. <laughs> so good. But, but, celebratory time here. Everybody and their brother, it's an excuse to have a barbecue, right? Or a party. So we're in Florida where I have family out on an island that my father-in-law has a boat, took us out on a beautiful day, bunch of boats. Uh, quite a bit of family and a bunch of friends. It's a festive, you know, hey, blast, you know, and we're all bobbing. You, you, you kind of bob in the water on a floaty or just, you know, waist high along the beach where this particular island is. And so we're all doing that. And I don't even know what hit me, Marsha. I really don't. I don't remember what the trigger was. And anybody that's lost a child knows you don't need a trigger, but um something hit me. And I just began thinking, I just missed Gabriel, you know. And I started to cry. And so here's if if there is a a trick to this or not trick, but if there's anything that you need to be cautious of. Now, if I was in a boardroom, you know, or, uh, certain things that I do professionally. OK, now's not the time for me to process that emotion. Right. I need to gather myself, take care of business. But then and here's what most people do. Then they just bury it away and never deal with it. I need to go find a place as soon as I can, right, where, where I can allow that emotion to come back. Yeah. So in this case, I just bobbed about 20, 30 feet away <laughs> from where everybody, because it was a big party. Nobody noticed what I was doing anyway. Mm-hmm. And I literally, for about 40 minutes, just and I didn't even realize it until I looked at my watch, I just, I just wept. Not uncontrollably. No one even knew what was going on. But I just allowed myself to feel that. And then you know what happened? Because this is how we're built. This is how we're wired as humans. We exchange emotions. All the time. It's the way we were wired all the time, all the time. Yeah. Unconsciously, you know, it's just automated. But in this case, I knew I'd, I'd allowed myself to feel what I needed to feel. And then I was ready to rejoin the party. And so I exchanged that sadness in the moment for joy. Mm -hmm. And I got back into the boat. Because at that point, some people had jumped back in the boat. We were eating. And I did tell my wife what happened. Because again, we're very honest with each other of letting each other know when we're processing something. But I got back in and then, hey, party time, you know, and I think that's a really simple yet possibly profound example of, you know, we need to be able to do that. And and in in my case for my kids, you know, I let them know about it Mm -hmm. because sometimes they seem sad or they want to cry for what seems like no trigger
0: and and how is that okay for them if i don't tell them when i experience it i i love this open communication and open line that you're having with them and you know again allowing the emotion it you are right there is so much research that talks about how we we have generations that have just suppressed every emotion possible like just suppressed it and if it comes up it's like take something put it down push it down mm-hmm. ignore it do all yeah. the things and it's interesting because even, um, research wise, I don't have anything off the top of my head to, to back this up. But because you were in the water and because you were actually moving and you allowed Mm -hmm. yourself to move, you actually physically allowed the emotions to move through you, which is why you can then, you know, release it and move into even as opposed to like, Oh my God, I just have to hold this in or I have to do that's just trapped. It's all trapped and trapped. So I think being in that space, you allowed it to move through you. And it was like, okay, I needed to release that obviously something reminded me yeah, and, yeah, and yeah. it doesn't have to be a big profound trigger. I think that is a big misconception when it comes to grief is that it has to be something, you know, huge that happens like a milestone or a birthday. Right. And it can be something very small that reminds you of the person, or you can have a moment where like my husband will say something and I'm like, he just said something the other day. And I was like, i forgot about that. Like I immediately forgot about it. He goes, how'd you forget? Cause this one stuck in my head and I went, Oh, but this one stuck in my head and we're both having these moments where we've, we've worked really hard to continue having open conversation and communication about difficult, difficult times and difficult emotions. And much like you're saying, I mean, I don't know what the stats are, but I know that when you are dealing with something like the loss of a child, a lot of families don't make that transition together.
1: No, they don't. And you just said something, you know, what you're describing there is really profound and I have found it to be 100% true. And I can't cite a report, but I can cite years of experience of working with people, you know, in the, in the personal development side of things. Mm -hmm. One of the most common questions I ask people and it, and it isn't regarding, so I'm not a grief counselor. That's not the only thing I do. I, I talk about all kinds of different things. But I have yet to ask anyone that is experiencing great fear or rejection or name it, right? When I ask them, okay, I want to ask you a question. When you are feeling rejected, what is happening in your body? What's the physical response to that? I have yet to have anybody not point to something immediately. It's not, And it's not always the same thing. It differs, you know, from person to person. But usually they're like, oh, yeah, absolutely. I get hot on the back of my neck or I get this like sharp pain in my stomach. There is absolutely a physical correlation to an emotional condition. So I hadn't really even thought about that myself as far as me bobbing in the water. But I think you're absolutely right. That's that's probably exactly what happened.
0: You've allowed it to move through you. And I think that's the beautiful thing is, is that, you know, again, it's not always perfect. It's not always easy. We're in this space, but allowing those emotions to move through and to will allow you to shift from that grief feeling to, okay, I feel like I've released and now, you know, on to the next thing, because again, our triggers come every single day. So yeah. absolutely yeah. yeah. anger,
1: anger to place a piece, right? There's nothing wrong with angry. You know, we, we can get
0: angry and sometimes we need to be angry, but you can't stay there. <laughs> no, <laughs> you know? can it won't serve you. That's for sure. <laughs> no, not very well. <laughs> so when a person is going through this kind of grief and maybe you found yourself in this space, or maybe you have something that you want to share in this, when you're in this space and moving through anger is real like anger is yeah. real and that is and it, and we all know like those are normal emotions it's yeah. you know if you're staying in anger for a year two years three years like it's not it's only going to hurt you is literally what happens but did you find yourself in those times and if you did how did you process that
1: yeah well i'm glad you asked that you know i i I would not say that I felt like anger has been one of the more prevailing things for me personally, but I have experienced it. Now, my wife, I think has had more angry moments than I have, or at least maybe she's been better at, you know, recognizing that's what it is. Maybe maybe I'm not as discerning as she is at times, but, um, but I have, I have felt it. And I think my coping mechanism is very much like hers as well. I have found. That uh, there is, we all talk about being grateful, right? Grateful is almost a buzzword right now. I see, <laughs> I see the word grateful being posted everywhere and all this stuff. Um, it's easy to be grateful when things are really good, right? Sure. Is. Very challenging when things are really, really tough. And I have found that those times where I've been angry about his death, and I'll just be really candid for both of us the anger when that has occurred has been towards god we're we're people who have faith we're christians that's that's our belief system and so we've had times where we've been angry at god like why why you know um but i have found the power of gratefulness just diffuses that almost instantly and so that's that's what i practice i will just and you can learn to do this this is a beautiful thing You know, for any of your listeners that maybe didn't have the same background or foundation I did to know some things that were at least a little bit of an advantage to begin with. And they feel like, oh, I didn't never did that. You can start today. Mm -hmm. You know, these everything I've talked about, you didn't have to start that way. You can change it today. So there's still hope. But you can you can really reprogram yourself in a sense. We know that about the brain, right? You know, brain science tells us you could rewire your brain, you know. So, I think there's great hope. I kind of lost track of where I was just going, so you can help me out there.
0: Don't <laughs> so get it happens to be all I the just, time. I just oh, had a
1: fifties moment there. Yeah.
0: No, it's shifting out of anger, and I love the pieces oh, yeah. on grateful and gratitude. Um, it's interesting because one thing I always like to to share when it comes to gratitude is you can have a gratitude practice that can be very different from anyone else's, but it works for you. When we were in the thick of our story and challenges. I mean, I don't know how many people said to me, well, you need to write your gratitude. I'm like, are you, did you hear what we're like?" It just, I couldn't, I couldn't, it didn't make sense to me to sit down and write things I didn't feel. So I really had to practice. Like I go outside and it's like, oh, the sky's beautiful. The sun is beautiful. Like it's just anything in the present moment, because I had a hard time finding something to be grateful for at that time. So yeah, gratitude is your ultimate vibration and one of the highest emotions that you can experience and very few things can live in the same space of gratitude. So if you can shift to that, then that's fantastic. And if you can't shift to it, can you move a little bit closer to it?
1: Yeah, no, I totally agree. I I gratefulness just I, I believe it's a force. Mm -hmm. to me, it's not just a word. I I really do think it, whatever we want to call it, force energy, you know, whatever. Um, I had, I, I don't want to give away too much in the book for people who may want to read it, but I have a pretty powerful story that, that represents what happened to me in my darkest moment in this whole journey. You know, one of the hardest things about a son who dies in a plane crash is they take the body immediately. You don't know when you're going to get the remains. I mean, this is kind of, No, no, it's hard stuff, but yeah, um, you just don't know the NTSB investigation for the average person, which was us, was almost two years, you know. But when, when he passed away, we had to just make the decision. We knew he was going to have to be cremated because of just the type of accident it was. Um, but we didn't know how long. So we went ahead and did our celebration service the following week and moved on, you know, and that was just something that was coming. One day the doorbell rings and I don't know if, you guys up there in Canada are just like us down here, but, but either Amazon or <laughs> FedEx or UPS or somebody with a package is ringing my doorbell about every day. And my dog yeah. goes nuts like it's the first time every time, right? Same. And so it was just a Wednesday. Mm-hmm. And so the doorbell rings and you know my dog's going nuts. So I step out. I shut the door. Guy's in his FedEx uniform. He's got the little device that we all sign. And I look in his hands and he's got a box that has a biohazard sticker on it and in bright red block letters says cremated remains. I was just stunned. We knew it was coming someday, yeah, but it wasn't on the forefront of our mind. So ultimately, because I'm being very truthful
0: Mm -hmm.
1: up to this point, I had not come even close. And this is only in the first few weeks.
0: So this was fairly. Uh, okay. This is just
1: within the first few weeks. Okay. But I had not had any kind of a struggle with feeling like I was going to get depressed or anything like that.
0: Mm-hmm. That
1: was not anything that was a challenge. I go in. I show her what it is. I honestly don't remember that we even talked. I just remember holding each other and just weeping. And and I mean, hard. Um, and, it, and it took several minutes for that to stop mm-hmm. and then what happened was is emeralds went into the bedroom to presumably gather herself and and i stayed in the kitchen where we were and i looked at that box and i literally this is just how i felt i literally felt like a heavy blanket mm-hmm. was coming down on me i began to feel dark i began to have dark thoughts i began to think i I'm on the verge of going down. This is it. I, I, I may be spiraling into depression and deep resentment. And, you know, I could just feel it. And again, I think, you know, my experience with this kind of thing probably is the only reason why I had that lucid moment. But I just knew I had seconds. And if I didn't, I was going to go in a pit. And literally, I just did the one thing I knew to do, which is what we're talking about now. And and I didn't feel it, just like what you're describing. You know, I, I, if you'd have asked me, write down what you're grateful. I'd be like, Whoa. something I shouldn't say, right? Yeah. And, but, but I knew that was it. And so I literally just stood there and I began to just thank. In, in my case, I was thanking God for the opportunity. To be Gabriel's father. Mm. I thanked him for some of the experiences that we had. Mm -hmm. And I just, I just, and it wasn't long, you know. I just, I began to just say, and and it grew too, because the first couple of ones I kind of murmured, you know. And then as I began to express gratefulness, that energy, power that, you know, we talked about, I began to feel it. And my words even got stronger. And I just rattled off some things that I was grateful for. And before I was finished, and this is all within a matter of a few minutes, I literally felt that, and I'm just going to use the word dark energy, freak anybody out, but this is what it felt like. It just lifted. But I want to distinguish something very important is that that didn't get rid of my pain. The pain was still there. But that darkness that wanted to just overtake my mind and my soul, it just lifted through the power of gratefulness and i you know obviously it's a very vivid moment and so it's kind of hard to forget um i've only had a few times in the last few years where something even remotely close to that has tried to come and gratefulness works for me every time um but like you said sometimes you got to dig a little bit to figure out what am i grateful for
0: it's there. It trust me. It's like, it, I, I actually was quite resentful when people would say it in the beginning because I was like, okay, um, okay, that sounds great. But, um, I was just not in that space, but I, you have to learn how to shift through that. And, and I think that you can stay in. I mean, again, it's really important that we feel our emotions. It's also important that we don't shame ourselves for maybe not responding like you think you should, or you think maybe others think that you should. But this piece on like shaming ourselves only keeps us where we are. And I think that's a a really important piece because we can't move forward if we're shaming how we're responding to what's happening. And it's just shame is such a a low emotion that is not serving a purpose to help people to move forward.
1: Yeah, you, you nailed it. My experience that that's, I think shame is probably... I mean, it's not the only one, but it's probably the most common and the one that, that keeps people buried easier.
0: It does. It does. This is, we're talking just over three years ago. When did you have the moment that you're like, I think, I think I'm supposed to do something even more with Mm. Gabriel's story. What was that moment?
1: Yeah. Um, To some degree, it was, it was a series of moments. Mm -hmm. In the sense that you know, one of the things that I don't expect your listeners to be keeping track chronologically of what we're talking about here, you know, so Gabriel passes on September twenty third of twenty nineteen, and then three months later, the world's turned upside down with COVID.
0: It yes, and I I did. I mean, that's that wasn't lost on me because I'm thinking like that was such a, a strange time for all of us. Absolutely. All of a sudden, now you're in this time of isolation. And, you know, resources, I don't know what things were like for you. Resources were incredibly difficult to get here. Um, So, and I mean, I had friends who it just, it it really wasn't a good time. So I can't even fathom how that, that compounded for you.
1: Yeah. So, you know, ultimately the world lost, Yeah. right? The world suffered a loss. And in many cases, people lost loved ones, Yeah. you know? Um, but there were many other forms of loss too. And, you know, I'm, I'm one of those people that, you know, when you lose a child, everybody, the first thing out of everybody's mouth, and I've said it to other people too, before I experienced this, I can't even imagine, right. Cause no one can, but, but then there it, sometimes with certain people that it almost creates like this hierarchy Yep. And them to use your word shame. Other people are shamed if their loss is lesser. And I don't, I don't see things that way at all. To me, loss is loss. Um, now you're not going to compare losing a loved one to losing your car or your, or, you know, some inanimate object, but losses, is loss. And so in 2020, the world began to unravel. And last couple of years, everybody lost in some form. People lost careers. They lost businesses. They lost friendships. They yeah. lines got even Fair. thicker and, you know, all kinds of stuff, you know, came out of that. And so as time went on, and we're going to go back now, maybe about a year, year and a half ago, when I began to think about, I was already starting to do some personal development, but I hadn't decided to write the book yet. So there was a moment there. Mm-hmm. Um, I I knew I wanted to help people. I And I knew I wanted to help people that had suffered major loss. But I also wanted to help people that just lost in general, or maybe have just given in to the fears of life and not willing to take a risk. And they're just living a life of just mundane mediocrity. You know, I, I really wanted to do something that could spark people and inspire them. But a book was not really on my mind, even though I've had a lot of times over the years, people have asked me, when are you going to write a book? So I ended up on, it, it, it ties in podcasts. You're going to love this. So I was not really much of a podcast listener, even two years ago. I don't think I'd listen to more than one or two. My <laughs> wife was listening to Ed Milet. I don't know if you know who Ed Milet um, is. but big, One of yeah. my
0: absolute favorite podcasters. Yeah. I
1: love Ed Milet. Yeah, he's great. Well, I'd never listened to him though. This is uh, you know, just a little over a year and a half ago. And so she goes, hey, there's this guy on there, uh, this podcast I listened to. His name is Howard Bihar. I think you're going to love him. I'm like, okay, great. So I go on there. I listened to it and it's just an amazing interview. You know, 1st time listening to that show. So I loved it. Well, Howard Behar, most of your listeners probably don't know him by name, but he is the former president of Starbucks International and of Starbucks North America. Yeah,
0: I actually thought that was the one you're referring to because I actually almost didn't listen to that one because I'm like, mm. oh, oh, it's good. It's, so it's really good. good. It's so you need good. to go back and get it. Yeah. So,
1: But here to fast forward, what ended up happening was at the end of that podcast, you know, like we all in, how can they connect with you? Right. And he gives out his phone number <laughs> and email. So I'm like, all right. So I put it in my phone, you know, cause this guy, you know, he spoke a lot on servant leadership, which yeah. I've been developing leaders for a lot of years too. And that's just near and dear to my heart. So I decided I'm going to send Howard Bihar an email. I'm not going to call him. I'm not going to be that presumptuous, but I am going to send an email. <laughs> So I sent him just this polite little email. Hey, I, you know, I loved your talk today. You know, love you're talking about servant leadership. And then I started a company called big bowl, brave. You know, it was inspired by the loss of my son. That was about it. It was very short. Well, three months go by and Howard did not reach back out to me and he had promised he would return every email. So this is kind of the new Clint at that stage of my life. I used to always be one of those people who just have ah, whatever and just move on, you know, but I decided to send him one more. So I sent him another email just saying, Hey, you know, There's a million reasons why you could have not seen my email. Just like, you know, I never heard back from you. Well, I've got them in my phone, right? Mm -hmm. I am not exaggerating. I hit enter and three minutes later, my phone rings and it's Howard Beehaw. No. So I'm like, yeah, exactly. That's how I felt too. But I didn't answer that way. I'm like, hello. (laughs) Of course I expected you to call. No. But ultimately what happened was, and this is the moment, is about... I don't know. It was, a, it was a brief call, 10 minutes, 15 minutes, maybe. And towards the end of it, he asked me point blank. He goes, so have you, he asked me more about big, bold, brave, the mission, what I want to do. And he says, so have you written a book yet? I'm like, no, <laughs> you know? And then he just gave me a few reasons why he felt like you should write the book, you know? And so at the end of that, he asked me how I can, how he could help me, which I was definitely not prepared for. So ultimately I just said, Hey, I'm going to write this book. I'm making the decision tonight. If I write it, will you read it? And he promised me he would fast forward. I ended up sending him the manuscript when I was done with it. And then I asked him if he would endorse the book or excuse me, write the forward and he agreed to that. So when you see the cover of my book, you see that Howard Bihar is the forward on it. That was kind of the, I just call it Howard. I, you know, I thanked him time and time again. Just you know, he was kind of the final shove. You know, he was the last voice, but the one I needed to just quit. Making all the excuses and quit being afraid and quit thinking that my story doesn't matter and who really needs another book you know all that
0: stuff, mm-hmm. hey, who needs another podcast, who needs another book, who needs oh, things, right. I mean really. And when you think about take it back to the talk you gave on the day you had to share with your boys that you had lost Gabriel, like. There was a decision of, you know, we're going to, this is going to be our compass. This is what we're going to do. And this is how we want to choose to live. And that's essentially what you did by committing to this book is keeping and sharing um, his experience. So tell us about the book.
1: Yeah. If I could say one thing to that really, really quickly, what it really did when I started writing it was I recognized there were areas of my life where I was a coward. And I actually call myself that in a book, you know, there were areas of my life where I was a leader and I was courageous, but there were areas of my life where I was a total coward. And that's the inspiration I got from my son mm-hmm. that he was not a coward. So I had to put something tangible to my words, you know, and I was walking out some of it, but writing the book putting myself out there, you know, to share this story. Eventually those were all things that I knew, you know, it was going to take courage and it was my time to step up. Mm-hmm. So with the book, um, you know, we, we just talked about COVID and all that. I just really felt like I, I wanted to write something that was just going to help a lot of people. And so, you know, I, I feel like I've done that. I've gotten some tremendous, um, feedback and stories. And I've got some amazing endorsements to it as far as just the impact it's having on people. And I'm just, I'm grateful for that because I want to see uh, my, my tagline, Martha, I don't know if you, or, uh, Marshall, I don't know if you've seen it, but it's courageous humans, inspiring lives. And for me, that's not a buzzword. I mean, it is catchy. I get it. And it works with SEO and all that stuff, but I really mean that because I believe that each one of us has three things in us. And this is the point of this book, ultimately. And we have more than this, but three things, especially. I believe we all were created to be courageous. I believe that courage is in every single one of us. We just need to access it. I think we were all built with the ability to be creative. I think everybody has a form of creative genius. And I think we all have within us the ability to be compassionate. And so for me, courageous humans, inspiring lives, I just want to be one small part in helping someone. And Howard told me to write the book for one person. It's literally the advice he gave me. Don't worry about trying to write a bestseller. Don't do any of that. Write to help one person. So if I can help one person become a courageous human being, whatever that looks like for them, that in doing so, they live a life that inspires other people, then I've fulfilled my mission.
0: Hmm. And I have no doubt, I cannot wait to read it. Thank you for sharing all of that. And I love this piece that, you know, courageous humans inspiring lives, but we're all created to be courageous, creative, and compassionate. And I think that, I, I think it's, I think it's beautiful. And I think we all have that in us. And sometimes we might not see that in ourselves. And sometimes we can't see that in others when we are, you know, dealing with difficult situations. But I think if we can really come down to the point of recognizing that all of that is available in us and is available in others, and that people are ultimately doing the best they can with the situation and the circumstances that they have, if we can apply more compassion, it would go a long ways. It would go a really long
1: ways. Absolutely. No, I, yeah. I 100% with you on that.
0: Yeah. When, when does your book come out? It's out. It actually is available
1: anywhere books are sold. Uh, I have not done my official launch yet. So don't get fooled by that. <laughs> if people go to my website right now, I'm still in pre-launch mode because nobody does a full launch in the middle of Christmas. So February 1st is my official launch day. But for your listeners, they can go to my website right now. Um, if you don't mind me sharing, that's probably the best no, way. No,
0: I, I do want you to share.
1: Yeah, that's the best way to connect with me, I think, because uh, if you go to the website, dot, and I say us. yes, I understand it's actually U.S., but it works for me because I really believe what you just said. You know, even even when we learn how to be more courageous and we learn how to take these steps, it's never going to be on an island. It requires collaboration. So we need people, you yeah. know, we need people to run with. So us. they can go there. They can, they can get the book. They can uh, sign up for updates. I have a podcast I'm going to be creating this year called stories of big bold brave humans. Um, there's some other projects that I'm working on as well. And then all of my social media links are there as well. So if they want to connect me, if connect with me on a certain platform, they can do that. Uh, I do want to tell your international listeners, though, if they want the book, It's probably as much as I would love for them to just buy it from me, it's going to be better for them to buy it from one of the online retailers out there, Amazon, Barnes and Noble, Goodreads, someone for shipping purposes, because shipping today has gone crazy.
0: It's insane. I've been shipping books for years and I just, we just finished our collaborative book and we started shipping them out in September and October. And I could not believe the differences in shipping prices from. Oh my gosh. 6 months before that. So, definitely, they've definitely come up. So, I it's okay. Anybody yeah. I interview who is an author, they're like, "Yeah, go to my website." They're like, "Unless you're international, then can you please go to" Right. Yeah, well, it costs more to ship the book than the book costs.
1: At the- considerably more. You are yeah. in Canada. I I promised someone, which I learned learned on this one, that I'm going to send you a book. And I did. But the first quote I got was $68. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> I ended up getting it for a dirt low price of $30 to ship one book. But yeah, crossing international lines nowadays is crazy. So that's where the Amazon machine is our friend.
0: Mm-hmm. No, I will make sure that everything is there honestly i I cannot wait um, to read it and I am here fully open to sharing and helping you in any way possible for that for, Thank um, you so much. yeah yeah because I know I know what it's like to put that story out there. And how is your whole family feeling at this point with this book coming out into the world in the way that it is?
1: you know it's it's been an interesting process because we've all lived through even that to some degree. Um, unfortunately for my wife, she's read my book more than any other human besides me. <laughs> she, she's a, I have a professional publishing company and editor, but she's an excellent editor. Oh, awesome. So even before I went to that stage, I was running it by her and she's so good, but, but, you know, for us reading it, you know, you process reprocess takes us back to certain situations. Cause I share Uh, actually I'm glad you asked that because I want to say something real quick too. I do share other stories. This is not a grief specific book Mm -hmm. and there's some things that we've experienced over the years. I think people are really going to enjoy it and the principles that they can use right away, like real stuff. But I also include four stories of some other people. I'm not going to give any of those away. Some amazing stories of people that I, I mean, I need to bow to myself, just amazing human beings, that have given their pain a purpose and some done some amazing things to serve people. So a lot of that's in there, but for the family, it's, it's exciting too, because I've also given my boys now permission to chase any dream. Yes, you have. And I'm not just putting my money where my mouth is, you know, I think, and I heard someone, I think I heard Ed Milet actually, since we're already promoting him today. Um, (laughs) I think I heard him say this (laughs) like he needs our help, right?
0: No, but, uh, but one of these days, like, he's on my bucket list. You have no idea He's right there on my bucket list to be, have a get as a guest one day. So yes. Absolutely. Yeah.
1: Absolutely. You and me both. Maybe we can figure out a way to get them together. Okay. But but <laughs> here we go again. I lost what I lost my thought again. Oh my gosh. <laughs> permission, permission to dream. And he yeah. he said something the other day that you know, one of the worst things we can do as a parent is to tell our our kids that they can dream and they can accomplish anything that they put their minds to when we haven't even tried.
0: I know exactly what you're talking about. I saw it and it was like, Oh, that's a gut punch, right? You can't, you you can't be in a space as a parent to, I don't want to say even encourage, but some, for some parents, it's almost like an expectation or a scold that you have to go after and do these things. And as he says in the clip, he's like, you know pretending he's the the child saying right. well why didn't you do it dad what why about haven't you, you? done yeah why you dad and yeah. it hit me and you've exactly done that i think it's even more if if it's possible i think it's even more powerful because um there's this misconception that you know we can only do so much by certain age like that we can only mm. do right and and i've had this conversation um before and people say, well, if I don't have this figured out by 25, then what am I going to do? Do I, am I going to change jobs? I'm like, you're going to change them a bazillion times. Like right. maybe that's what you right. do. We've, we've created this false belief that, and I, maybe social media has had something to do with this, but this false belief that, you know, some people just like smack it right out of the gates and they're doing incredible things and they hit it out of the park in their right. mid twenties and they right. never have to struggle. And it's like, no, I think that that's right. not real life. I think parents and, and people in their, I'm going to say fifties, sixties, like reinventing, creating, doing something new is, and then combine that with it being something that puts a lot of good out into the world. Like you're showing your kids more than I bet you, you probably won't even fully understand for a long time because even they're processing and seeing what you're doing. So I think it's fantastic.
1: Yeah, I think so too. And I should point out too, I'd be remiss if I didn't say, you know, my my bride Amarillis is an artist. She became an artist. She paints, um, does some amazing stuff. Shortly before Gabriel passed, and so there was a, there was a brief period of time where she set that down, and then that's her version of Big Bull Brave. Mm-hmm. And so she started pursuing that too. So she's doing the same thing, mm-hmm. and actually just was uh, actually invited in to do a, an international show here in Dallas that put her on the map. So she's leading the way too, you know, and so I want to I want to give her kudos as well for it's not just me, it's both of us trying to to lead the way in that way.
0: Yeah, your kids are seeing that from both of you, and I think that that is fantastic. I really do. Honestly, I have no doubt that I could talk to you for a long time. And I have loved this conversation. <laughs> I could too. Yeah. I'm sure we will have another conversation. I'm sure it will happen somewhere in there. And I just want to thank you so much for everything that you've shared, how honest, real you were with, with us and sharing that journey, because I guarantee you, this will land with somebody who needs to hear the message and what you're sharing. And I just, I thank you so much for that.
1: Thank you, Marsha. I I really do appreciate you having me on and, you know, we had a chance to talk a little bit beforehand and you already know you have my heart as well. You're doing really important, important stuff.
0: Mm -hmm. Thank you. I'm receiving that. I, I have one more question for you. And it is what lesson in life are you most grateful for?
1: Mm. Wow. You know, I think at this, at this stage of my life, and, and I'm not, you know, old and decrepit. I'm only 57, but I'm not a spring chicken anymore. I feel like I'm moving into that sage yeah. stage of my life. Yeah. I I think for me it's pretty simple and it's not terribly profound because a million people have said it. And that is just the significance of having real connection with your family and with those people around you that you really love. I'm much more intentional, especially since Gabriel passed to, we spend much more time with family, especially those who live out of state that we didn't used to see very often. Um, And I, I take my friendships more seriously as well. So I think just being intentional about the people around me. Cause that's at the end of the day, you know, we're all going to do some stuff and I even have a chapter called, you know, what will they say? <laughs> and it's all about, do I want them to talk about the stuff or just who I was and how I made them feel?
0: Mm-hmm. That's beautiful. I think, um, it's, it's taking that lesson and that experience and being intentional with the people that are around us, because we all know that time is short. And so I think that that's a beautiful, beautiful share. Thank you so much for being here and for this connection. Honestly, I cannot wait to have another conversation again.
1: Yeah, I had a blast. So I'm going to hold you to that.
0: (laughs) It's done. Thank you so much for tuning in to another episode of Own Your Choices, Own Your Life. If you love this episode, I invite you to tag me on social media with your takeaways or share it with a friend. Please, if you feel called, take 30 seconds to leave a five-star review, and I will be forever grateful. Until next time, remember, when you own your choices, you truly own your life.